From Japan to Hawaii to San Francisco to Haiti, earthquakes are deadly. First century Palestine had its share of tremors, but there was one in 33 AD that instead of generating cries of despair, brought shouts of joy. Its epicenter was a garden tomb. Turn with our study leader Dave Wurtzen to Matthew chapter 28 to discover the reason why. Bob Puff was the Salvation Army Director of Relief Services. He was in charge in Haiti. Haiti is the poorest country in the world. And Bob Puff was there, and his responsibility was to try to go down to Port-au-Prince and meet there in the Salvation Headquarters and coordinate on the west side of Hispaniola. Mary and I were just on the east side of the Dominican Republic and no damage at all. At 4.53, January 12th, Bob was coming down the hill from Passionville, which was the suburbs where he lived, and suddenly an earthquake, 7.0, struck. You all remember the news. Bob describes how his car was tossed around just like it was a toy. When his car settled, thankfully he wasn't hurt, he looked down at Port-au-Prince, and he watched buildings just pancake. Then, looking over the city, he saw thousands of people running into the street, many of them carrying bloody bodies, and they were crying, help, help, help. And you all know the rest of the story. 230,000 and more lost their lives in about 90 seconds, and then the aftermath of that. And we really want to encourage you as a church family, organizations like World Relief and Samaritan's Purse and World Vision, and they still need our support. And I'd really, you can give through our church family. But all of us know earthquakes can destroy life, and earthquakes produce cries of help and agony and despair. Man, there's the earthquakes in Haiti, there's been earthquakes in Japan. You know, we've even had shakes down in Cleburne that scare us a little bit. And we wonder what in the world is going to happen. But I want to talk to you this morning about an earthquake that took place. A lot of you might not realize it. But when Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished, and he gave up his spirit, the first century witness says that there was a powerful earthquake. And it rent the veil of the temple, and it opened the doorway for us to be able to enter to the very holy of holies. Some of you that are scientists and geologists say, well, you know, I'm not sure if I can believe this biblical testimony. Well, you need to check Israel out. Because if you think San Francisco is a place where it's earthquakes are going to happen, when Mary and I are in the Holy Land from the Sea of Galilee... It is 600 feet below sea level. You runners, man, the oxygen just rushes into your lungs. The Jordan River goes through the deepest fault line in the earth down into the Dead Sea, which is the deepest, lowest place on earth on the surface. And it's a fault line all the way through. Right through the Mount of Olives, there's a powerful fault line. Israel is a place where earthquakes, that's probably why nobody really mentioned that much in the secular media that we have from the time. But there was an earthquake when Jesus died. But I want to talk to you this morning about another earthquake. And all of you know that when there's an earthquake like in 80, where everyone's afraid of the aftershocks. And those of you that have been in earthquakes have told me, you know, they scare you as much and you run out of the building. Well, there was an aftershock early Easter morning. Now, the incredible thing about this earthquake is that this earthquake turned a grave 
into a place not of mourning, not of grief, but of incredible joy. A lot of you, some of you are here today, and this is your first Easter after you've gone to the grave. You've lost your loved one. Mary and I went to Mary's mom's grave. This is our first Easter without mom sitting here. We went to the grave, and as we went to the cemetery, Mary was asking me, well, do they dig the hole six feet down, and, or is that the top of the coffin? And, and then she talked about how she was there by herself, and she was trying to fix the dirt on top, and, and she had this weird feeling. We go to the grave to remember. We go to the grave to grieve. And I want you to know on this Easter morning, that the first century writers knew all about that. And so I want us to go today through the eyes of faith. I want you to to listen to a first century writer that's going to give us testimony from eyewitnesses of those that went to a grave, and we're going to find out that they went to the grave to mourn. So turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 27. If you're exploring this Jesus thing this morning, you say, Dave, I don't really come to church, and I got turned off that a long time ago. I want to understand why we're opening up to Matthew. It's not just because this is some holy book, but Matthew, and I I want you to know that I actually went through this week, I looked at every single word that we're going to talk about in Greek, because that was the language that Matthew, a Jewish tax collector that became a father of Jesus, wrote down the, the unity of the eyewitness accounts, and he wrote about it from his perspective. The document that we're looking at, you don't have to begin saying, I believe it's the Word of God, it's some holy book. I want to understand that unlike the idea of Islam where the Quran dropped out of heaven, Matthew presents that, that he wrote this down because he wanted to fill you in on your faith. He wrote this down, and it was passed around from church to church. It was written down on papyri. It it was written down on on parchment scrolls. It was passed on during the second century. So I want you to know, wherever you stand with Jesus, what I'm going to read to you today was written about 40 years after Jesus was living, after he died on the cross, and that's a historical fact. So we're not talking about documents written far after that, and there were people living in Israel that could testify, that experienced all these events. What I want you to do is that most of us don't really read the testimony like Matthew's testimony very carefully. And I want, one of the things I want you to get is a hunger today to understand how incredible it is that we have one of the disciples of Jesus, a man whose life was transformed by Jesus. That's reality. And he shares with us in a, an incredibly powerful, skillful way. And that's what I want to just be a servant to help you to get into that. The story set up better than any Hollywood film you go to. It starts out, in fact, if you look at verse 56, we're at the crucifixion. It says that many women were watching Jesus, Jesus from a distance as he died. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Jonas, and, mother, and also the mother of Zebedee's sons, another Mary. My wife's name is Mary, and Mary was a really popular name in the first century. I want all of you ladies to know that you're really important on Easter. Easter is one of your most important day, ladies. And I'm going to tell you why before we're done today. But we start out with a group of Marys that are looking at Jesus dying. And they're already in tremendous shock and they're mourning and they're crying. Then we have another scene. We have the burial of Jesus. When someone dies, remember Jesus breathed at his last and his spirit departed from him and he died. He said it is finished. Then we have, as evening approached, as this is on Friday afternoon, as the evening begins, the sun begins to set, 
the Passover is going to begin and the Jews need to get this burial done before the Passover begins or else they won't be able to celebrate the Passover. So Joseph of Arimathea, it says Joseph, uh, it says that the evening approached Joseph of Arimathea had himself become a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and he asked for Jesus' body. Nicodemus also went with him. That's very important because you want to understand that this is a Jewish story. Joseph is on the Jewish Sanhedrin. He was stood against with Nicodemus. He said, you're making a wrong decision. And now he's going public. A lot of you know the details of the story. Joseph was a rich man. He had a stone sepulcher that had been honed out of the rock. They took the body of Jesus. The women helped him. They anointed the body. They wrapped it in the linen shroud like they did in the first century. Then they put it on a shelf in this tomb. And then it says, Matthew says that they rolled a great big stone in front of it. Now, those are all good people so far. The women, Joseph Arimathea, they're all those that believe in Jesus. Now, we have some of the enemies of Jesus. Look at verse 62. The next day, the one after the preparation day, the chief priests and the Pharisees went to Pilate. So this is now Saturday. It's the day after Passover, the preparation day for the Passover. And they say to Pilate, sir, they're, they're giving him respect. He's the Roman ruler. It says, we remember, and I want you to know that these are the enemies of Jesus. And this is a first century source, and I want you to hear what the enemies of Jesus say. We remember that while he was still alive, that deceiver... That deceiver said, after three days, I will rise again. In the first century, the enemies of Jesus, what did they heard him say? One of the things that was very clear, his disciples didn't really get it, but his enemies really heard him say that after three days, he would rise again from the dead. And they're concerned about it because they crucified him. And if you're looking at it from a Jewish perspective, they feel he was a blasphemer. They feel that he was a liar. It says right here, he's a deceiver. So as you sit here this morning, you need to think through. Is Jesus one that should be cared for? Like Joseph, the Jewish member of the Sanhedrin, is wrapping him and putting him in a grave because he was someone that you should follow? That's what it means to be his disciple. Or is he the biggest deceiver, the biggest imposter that ever lived? I'm going to try to enter in because I don't just look at this from my believing standpoint. I was raised in New Jersey. I was raised with cynicism. All the sarcastic jokes flow out of the East Coast. So there's a part of me that isn't believing and trusting I'm cynical. This story is saying that there are those that are saying, no, he's a liar. And you're going to need to decide this morning which side you're going to join. So the priests, they say, we got to deal with this. And so they go to Pilate and they say, it's going to be worse. Pilate says, give orders for the tomb to be made secure. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body. That's what the Pharisees and the high priests are saying. They say to Pilate, you have got to secure this tomb because if you don't secure it, the disciples are going to come and they're going to steal the body and then they're going to tell all the people that he was raised from the dead and the last deception, and that's what Matthew's facing you with, is all of this deception. That's what you need to think about. The reality of the matter is 2 billion people today and more 
are sitting where you're sitting, somewhere around the world. It started out 12 hours ago in Eastern Europe. Then it flowed seven hours ago to London. Now it's moved to the East Coast about an hour ago. Churches on the East Coast have already had their Easter service, their first service, and they're moving into the second. Now we're gathered. I want you to know that that's going to sweep all the way. And around the world, more than 2 billion people are going to say, Jesus is the greatest man that ever lived. Jesus is the greatest Savior that ever lived. Jesus actually rose again from the dead. That's going to be why they're gathering together. There's going to be another billions of people that say, no, we don't believe that. Well, you're going to have to decide which side you're going to be on. This is a first century source, and it's saying that the Jewish leader says, we got to make this tomb secure. So what I want you to know is that an eyewitness is saying that the dead Jesus is put into a tomb, and his enemies actually make sure he's not going to get out. You got that? you got tough Roman soldiers. They're, they're like United States elite Marines. They're like the rangers of the army. It's like when I did, a, did the wedding for Jacob Rucker. I had his best man, who is a Navy Special Forces guy. The, his next man that was with him is a special ranger guy. Those are the kind of guys, and Mary and I spent time talking with them. They are men on a mission. These Roman soldiers were trained legionaries. They were the most powerful military force, and they're under command of death if they don't accomplish their mission. They're guarding the tomb of Jesus. Matthew also tells us, notice it says, Pilate says, take a guard and make the tomb as secure as you know how. So they went and they made the tomb secure by putting a seal on the stone and posting the guard. Those of you younger ones that love to go to the movie, just picture it. Man, you got this big stone rolled away. Then the Roman guard rolled in front of the door. Then they take a wax seal and they seal it so that if the stone is broken and rolled away, you're going to know that the tomb was tampered with. It's a very high crime to do this. The scene is set. So you got this thing. You've got Joseph of Arimathea. The women, they're saying he's not a deceiver. He's the teacher. He's more than a teacher. We don't understand what's going on because he just died. We're really discouraged, we're really disappointed, and we're grieving, and we're mourning. you got another group that's saying, no, he's a big imposter, he's a liar, and we're going to make sure that the deception doesn't keep plaguing human existence. We want to make sure that it doesn't go out into all the world. Now it's Easter morning, and you ladies are the first one on the scene. Notice what it says. It says we're going to have a group of ladies that come, precious women who come to grieve at the tomb. Look at verse 1 of chapter 28. Now, after the Sabbath, that's after the completion of the Passover, which would have been from 6 o'clock Friday till 6 o'clock Saturday night, that early, the rest of Saturday night took place according to our reckoning. Now, it's early in the morning on the first day of the week at dawn. It's very dark, but you have those of you that get up early in the morning, some of you haven't done that in a long time, but check it out. You know, you go from darkness, and then it gets lighter and lighter and lighter, Mary Magdalene, remember we were introduced to her in verse 40, 56. That's why I read that to you, because Matthew told you that Mary Magdalene, this is an incredible woman, seven evil spirits were cast out of her. She's not Mrs. Knight's woman raised in Sunday school classes, learning all of her one verses. She's a woman transformed by Jesus. She's really disappointed. She's grieving. She doesn't know what in the world's going on, but she's there. It also says that the other Mary, that's probably Mary, the mother of James and Joseph. We also know from the other Gospels that the other Mary was probably with them. But Matthew is a, like a good author, and I, I, I want to, don't you, get, that are real engineers, 
You know, like my wife will be like to say, well, man, if there were three people, they need to tell you there were three people. If there were four people, they need to tell you there. Mary's learning as, as she edits stuff that I write. You got to stay on target. You only mention the important ones and the ones you want to emphasize. So if you only mention two, it doesn't mean that there weren't more. It means that for the focus of this story, these two women are going to be really important. They went to look at the tomb. Now, this is very realistic. One of the reasons I, I really buy into this account is I've been a pastor for many years, and I, I, go, to, I go to intensive care wards, I go to, I go to funeral services, and I go to graves. I hate to tell you guys, but you don't show up to look at the tomb early in the morning after someone dies. Those of you that don't quite know how to handle death, you drink, and you're too soused early in the morning. I'm honest, really. And a lot of you guys go and play golf. Or you do anything you can do. Go, even go to Walmart. You do whatever you can to try to get away from death. But the ladies, the ladies, I mean, really realistic. And this is one of the reasons why I know it's true, because it's really true to my experience. Women go to the tombs to grieve. They're the ones that want to make sure that the grave is taken care of. They want to, Mary had me out there yesterday. You got to get a rake, got to get a shovel. Man, the dirt's not level on mom's grave. I'm saying, she doesn't care. She's up in heaven. She's rejoicing. She doesn't care whether... And I get it all leveled. She said, no, no, no. We need to shovel more. It's just not right yet. Now you need to get down. You need to get the dirt. We should have brought a broom over here. Women do that. Guys, get it. So the Bible's honest. It's the way it really is. Mary Madeline and Mary, they're there to grieve at the tomb. They want to make sure that the tomb's taken care of. Because of their caring, I want to bless all of you ladies. Your Savior blesses you. Don't ever feel in the body of Christ that you're rejected by the triune God or rejected by the Father, by the Son, by the Holy Spirit. Because in the first century, you ladies would never have been in this account. And by the way, if you're a cynic, what Matthew's setting up would, is, is just totally against first century evidence building. Because the women weren't supposed to know what they were seeing. The women weren't supposed to know how to testify. They were not in rabbinic circles and in Roman and Greek circles. They weren't quite there. But your Savior had you ladies show up first. And what happened? They were the ones, there's an earthquake. So these ladies get more than they ever bargained for. Look what happened. Now we have this incredible earthquake that's still shaking the world. It said there was a violent earthquake. The angel of the Lord came down. From the heavens. So now we've got a break. So we've got, from Matthew's vantage point, there is a world up there. Amen? Do you believe that? See, what you got to think about this morning, do I live just for down here? Or do I believe there's an up there or wherever, you know, that spiritual world is? And sometimes the interface from what's up there, from in that spiritual dimension, it can break through down here. This is one of those places. When that happens, there's like a wrinkle in time and earthquakes are often presented as taking place. So an earthquake, an aftershock takes place. It says that the Lord, the angel of the Lord came down from heaven and going to the tomb, he rolled back the stone. And there goes all this weak, namby-famby angel business. When you see angels, if you ever tell me you see an angel, they need to look like mighty warriors and they're powerful and they're strong. He just rolls, no big deal to roll the stone away, and then he sat on it. I love that. Now, some of you are worried this morning, like Mary's worried about her mom down in the grave. 
And then she said, well, she isn't there. But I do this a lot, and, and I've lost my mom and dad. I've lost my sister. So I'm not speaking from a distance. I go to the grave. And there's a scientific part of me that says, man, they're just decaying. They're not even there, and that's it. I want you to know that I have those doubts. Like one of the things, like when I'm in intensive care and someone dies, I sit there going, well, that's it. There's another side of me that says, no, wait a minute. Matthew testified that there's a heavenly world. And Jesus is the first fruit, the first one that conquered. And he's a human being that went into that heavenly world. And what I want you to do is I want those of you that have lost loved ones today, I want you kids that have lost your dad, I want you wives and your husbands that have lost your partner, I want those of you that have lost grandparents just recently, I want you to realize if they know Jesus Jesus said you're going to be greater than the angels. And look at what angels look like. It says, it says right here, look what it says. His appearance was like lightning. Now, some of you girls on prom night think, think you look like lightning. You don't. No, you do. You really do. Those of you who go to rock concerts and you think a great big rock star, when they're hitting them with the strobes, they're really big stuff. Those of you that are dramatic, those of you that are younger, again, I want to bless you. I want you to enter into it. Your heavenly Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have incredible experiences, dramatic experiences that he wants you to enjoy forever and ever. Angelic beings radiate like lightning. So the next time we have one of those great big Texas thunderbusters, go out. Be careful not to be where you're vulnerable, but look at the lightning. I want all of you to envision now, just think of looking across the Texas Plains and seeing one of those great big flashes, those great big radiating streaks of light. And now you've got an angelic being that's radiating that kind of energy and power. That's what Easter morning is about. And I want you to know that that, that's small stuff. That's just the angel stuff. They're the servants in the household. You're the sons and daughters in the household. You're going to have greater radiance. Focus on that. Because there's hope forever in believing that. It also said that the angel's garment that he was wearing was white as snow. Now, this is snow that's just newly fallen. Not like New York snow after it's been there for about an hour. You all know. Now I can tell all of us as fellow Texans. Now we all know. Now, don't we? We all know now. Remember when it snowed? Remember when you went out? This is the first time since 1971 when I walked outside that it felt like home. There's one other time a few years ago that it was like that. But I walked out, and when the snow first falls, isn't it gorgeous? It's pure white. I mean, I've seen ugly New York streets right after New York's first snow covered with a foot of snow and ugly, dirty streets. It becomes pristine. Angels are pure white, but they're just your servants. If you've come to know Jesus, if you believe in the resurrected Christ, then what I want you to know is that one day you're going to be clothed in white. You're going to radiate like lightning. No matter how weak this body might get down here, and some of you just went through intense suffering with someone that is, their physical body is, is wearing down. This is the incredible hope that keeps you going. Mom doesn't have Alzheimer's today. Mom isn't 84 pounds today. Mom isn't in a unit where she didn't even know who we were, and people were urinating on the walls. She's radiating. She's pure. If we could see her now, 
we'd be afraid because it's so glorious. Isn't that wonderful? You see, where Matthew is a witness through these women, you ladies are telling us one of the very first New Testament evidence, like the transfiguration, the view of Jesus here, and the view of the angel is very much like we saw when Jesus was transfigured. It's giving us a picture in earthly language of what that heavenly existence is going to be like. Look what else it says. I love this. The guards were so afraid of him that they shook and they became like dead men. Now, who's supposed to be dead? Everybody tell me. Who acts like they're dead? The guards, the one they're supposed to be guarding the dead. And Matthew wants you to, to, to chuckle at that. He wants you to feel that. It's incredible writing. Matthew's just saying, listen, the guys that are alive, the great, great big soldiers guarding the tomb, how ludicrous it is. You don't even, why guard a tomb with a big stone and a seal? You don't even need the guard. But the guards out there, they're supposed to be alive. They're vigorous. They're standing there. Jesus is supposed to be inside. They're supposed to be guarding the dead. But the irony is Jesus isn't there. they got to roll the stone away to find out what's in there. But the soldiers are supposed to be guarding the dead. They fall dead on on the ground like they are dead. They faint dead away. Then what happens? Look what it says. It says that the angel said to the women, and he says to all of you today, the angel, this is one of the first announcements of Easter, don't be afraid. When I spoke about fear the last time we were together, I noticed a lot of you were afraid. I told you, don't meet in secret meetings. I love hunting. I want you to have good shotguns. I want you to have good rifles to hunt deer. But you don't need to collect an armory. I don't want you to be afraid. I'm really serious. I don't want you to be afraid. The Democrats won't totally destroy America. The Republicans didn't. Don't be afraid. I'm teasing a little bit. I don't want anybody on Easter morning. Easter morning is about don't be afraid. I want you to know that I've been right there when someone died. I've been there in accidents, so like you policemen, I want you to know I'm with you. I understand, and I hate it. You soldiers that are coming back from the battlefield, Easter's about what happened in Iraq. Across the world today, thousands and thousands of people are going to die. In Afghanistan, our soldiers risk their lives, and they're blown to smithereens, trying to protect us and trying to somehow bring about some freedom. We live in a really brutal world. Well, the first century world was brutal, was ugly. Jesus' crucifixion is the ugliest, brutal, violent death there is. But the angel in Easter morning says, I don't want you to be afraid. And I want you to hear that. I want moms to take their little kids to bed at night, and I want you to get really close to them, and I want you to hug them, and I want you to look in their eyes. He says, you don't need to be afraid because Jesus is with you. My mom taught me that when I was a little bitty kid. So I didn't need to wake up at night terrified by the darkness. And if I did, my daddy could tell me, don't be afraid because of Jesus. Don't be afraid. You don't need to be afraid no matter what your fear is this morning. Your fear of losing your job. Your fear of of not being able to provide for your family. Your fear of not having physical health. Your fear of growing old. Your fear of having a baby that might not be perfect. You can make it. You don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid because the angel says, I don't want you to be afraid. Don't be afraid. For I know that you're looking. Now, this is why he gives you a really good reason why you don't need to be afraid. The angel says, for I know that you're looking for Jesus. That connects it automatically with the Jesus that died on the cross, with the Jesus that did all the miracles, the Jesus that was born in Bethlehem. This is the Jesus. He also says, and I want you to always remember, the Jesus that we serve was crucified. 
He is the crucified one. The text here literally reads, I know that you're looking for Jesus, the crucified one. That's what it's saying. For all eternity, Jesus is the crucified one. Now look at the next statement. This is why you don't need to be afraid. He is not here. Did you hear that? He is not here. Every other dead person in the world. When I go visit my dad, he was a great evangelist. He's not really there anymore. He just does. That sucks. That's terrible. My sister, we just buried her. She's still in the grave. If you dug down and the coffin is put six feet down, so it's only about three feet down there, in the frozen Adirondack dirt, she's there. But I have hope today, and I'm not afraid. Because an angel said, he's not here. Now, I want you to know it's good that he didn't stop there because, you know, they could have said he's not here, and then they could have gone and said, well, they stole him because that's one of the explanations of what happened. But notice he goes on. He doesn't just say, I don't want you to be afraid. He's not here. I know that you're coming to seek Jesus the crucified. He's not here. Just as he said, when I doubt, one of the reasons why I believe in Jesus is because I believe that Jesus told the truth. And before Jesus died, he said that he would rise again from the dead And so it's just as he said, the resurrection took place because of Jesus' word. I want you to know just from the depth of my heart, when I'm doubting, when I'm fearful, when I'm not sure whether this whole Christian thing is going to fly, one of the things I ask myself is, do I really think Jesus told the truth? I'm really serious about that. From the time I've been a little kid, I've been taught Jesus told the truth. And my whole life, I've been asking the question, did Jesus tell the truth? And from the depths of my heart, I want you to know, I think things happened just as he said. He said Jerusalem would be destroyed. It was. He said he would be put on the cross, he would be betrayed, he would be handed over, he, he was. But he also said, I'm going to rise again. His enemies even knew. And the angel saying, just like he said. That's why I'm opening this book. One of the things I want all of you younger folks to know, as we move into the next generation, this is your voice of God to you today. Not a magical book. Not some religious book that you think is holy, but you never really read it. But the reason I'm opening up this book, because this is the voice of Matthew. The Spirit of God is breathing through him, and he will totally give you evidence and truth and all that you need to carry you through this life into the next. That's what our whole church is about. Amen? Just as Jesus said. But I want you to know there's more. Some of you say, well, man, faith is a leap in the dark. If I hear someone tell me that faith is a leap in the dark one more time, I'm not going to shoot him. That statement drives me nuts. I want you to know, if you don't believe in Jesus, I'm not asking today. Say, well, there's no evidence at all, but i got to believe in something. Let's jump in. Oh, yeah, we'll believe in Jesus. That's great. Listen, I've jumped off a lot of cliffs and everything where I didn't have a clue what I was doing. That's stupid. It's amazing. I'm still alive. In the Adirondacks, we'd jump off cliffs. We had no idea what was in the water underneath us. We just, it was great adrenaline rush. Leaps in the dark are dumb. As you get older and you have kids and you're married, your wife starts to put sense in you, young men stop doing those stupid things. What I'm asking you to believe today is no jump in the dark. The angel says, come and see where he lay. That's hard evidence. I want you to come and see where he lay. You men, you want hard evidence? The tomb is empty. Only the grave clothes were there. The body wasn't there. But the grave clothes were, according to John's gospel. It says, and the angel said to the ladies, I want you to come and see where he lay. 
Nobody in the first century disputes the empty tomb. Nobody hauls the body of Jesus out, although periodically my whole life somebody says, oh, I think we found the remains of Jesus. It hasn't happened. The angels invite the women, and the angels invite you. You've got to believe. Do you think Matthew told the truth? Is what I'm teaching you, as you evaluate the way you determine whether someone's telling the truth or not, you know, which side do you want to be on? And Matthew's saying, the angel said to these ladies, do you want to look? Now, they're so excited and they're so afraid, I'm not even sure. I know that Peter looked, and I know that John looked. I'm not sure what the angel, what the, what the women did. But I want you to know you're invited to look. In the eyes of faith, you can ask yourself, is this true? And the angel's saying, go and look. He says, go and see where he lay. Then after you look and you realize he rose again. Then I want you to go quickly. I want you to tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. He's going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him. Now I have told you. So the women hurried away from the tomb, and they're afraid, but now they're filled with joy. And I love the, the honesty. That they're, they're afraid. They don't know what's happening here, but they're also filled with joy, and they're running to tell his disciples. Suddenly, Jesus met them, and he says, hi. That's what he's in Greek. This says, greetings. I love it. It's like, hello, how are you? Howdy, if you're Texans, some of you. And they came to him, and they grasped his feet. And they worshiped him. And then Jesus said, do not be afraid. Again, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I want you to go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Now, a lot of you in this audience so far have been tracking with me. You're buying into it. But I want you to know there's another side. And the text is honest. And you can decide something else about the resurrection. It says, while the women were on their way, so the women meet Jesus. They're running to tell the disciples. They actually see the resurrected Christ, which they not only see the empty tomb, but they actually see Jesus rose again from the dead. While the women are, are experiencing all that, some of the guards woke up. They went into the city. They reported to the chief priest everything that had happened. And when the chief priest had met with the elders, they devised a plan. We had these guys the last time devising a plan. That was a plan that led to Judas betraying the Lord Jesus. It's a plan that led to the cross. They're devising a plan again. They gave the soldiers large sums of money telling them, you were to say to his disciples, they came dur- you were to say, his disciples came during the night. They stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets back to the governor, which would be Pilate, we'll satisfy him. We'll make sure you don't face the death penalty, in other words. We'll keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among Jews at this very day, and it's still being circulated. My whole life, I've heard other explanations. The body was stolen. Jesus swooned, all kinds of things. Now, I want you to think what Matthew does here. What is the one thing the chief priest put the guards and the seal at the tomb to do? What did they tell Pilate was going to happen? Someone's going to come. The disciples are going to come and steal the body. Then we're going to have a worse problem than we had in the beginning. Matthew shows you how God turned the tables. And the very thing that the chief priests and the religious leaders and their envy and in their power positions they're trying to hold, and it's not anti-Jewish. This is inside of all religionists. It's inside of us. We want to protect ourselves. We're afraid to face the truth. That's what you need to decide this morning, whether you'll humbly let the Lord totally expose your heart. You'll get down on your knees. You'll be honest about your doubts, but you'll also let him show you the evidence. You'll let him convince you that he rose again from the dead, and you'll be delivered from fear. Or you can choose to live in a world where follow the money. Some of you are sitting here going, Dave, I live for money. Tiger Woods lived for money. He's an incredible golfer. 
Because he had so much money, because he's so successful, he thought he could have any women that he wanted, and, and everyone's supposed to turn the other eye. Now his career is busted. Only now we're going to follow the money again. I know there's that world after, over there, and I want you to pray for Tiger Woods. I don't want you just to condemn him. I want you to say, Lord, bring him into truth and honesty and purity. Because to live just being controlled with people that you can't trust and being surrounded with people that are just in it for the money, that's a horrible way to live. Jesus is offering you a totally different way to live. That's the point of Easter. Do you think that the whole Christian experience for 2,000 years is a great big lie that's filled with deceit? If you don't believe that Jesus rose again from the dead, then I, what I want to challenge you to do today, you see, you like to think, I don't see how anybody could believe in Jesus. Man, it's just a cock and bull story. How in the world could anybody rise from the dead? Well, I want to turn the tables on you. You don't believe in Jesus then what you have to explain is how a group of disciples that stole Jesus' body, they stashed him away somewhere else where he decayed. Then they declared just 50 days after Jesus was crucified, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. Nobody ever brings the body out. 3,000 Jewish people believe, yes, it's true, he's alive. And then they go all over the world so that by 105 A.D., in little corners of the Roman Empire, there's people being killed because they believe Jesus is the crucified one that rose again from the dead. And then it becomes the most powerful influence. In some ways, it's negative because by the third century, it becomes very cultural, very political, something we're trying to guard against. And what I, I don't want you to do with Jesus but I want you to know that for 2,000 years, the testimony, he's alive, he's alive, he's alive. He actually died for your sins. Millions upon millions of people believe that. That's the world that you live in, and you got to decide. It's the biggest deception. Life is just about money, or it's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. And Jesus appears to the disciples, and he closes Matthew's gospel with this. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee. They went to the mountain, probably Mount Hebron, the big 10,000-foot mountain, probably where Jesus was transfigured, where Jesus had told them to go. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And I love this, but some doubt it. I want you to know as your pastor that I doubt. Getting up early in the morning this morning, I say, well, another Easter. Boy, it's been a rough year. And I'm saying, i got to tell these people again, don't be afraid. And I want you to know, just honestly, as your pastor, I have doubts. And I don't want you to be afraid of your doubts. I try to present the other side. I want you to know that, that if you don't believe in Jesus, that I could probably give you better arguments than you've got for not believing in Jesus. But I want to tell you from the depths of my soul why I believe in Jesus. Because when I read this text and I humble myself and I say, who do I think is telling me the truth? I've got this one-of-a-kind human being that now comes to his 11 disciples, and the text is honest. It's not propaganda. Who in the world ever has a bunch of women in the first century be the first witnesses to the resurrected Jesus? Who in the world tells you that they'd say 11, not 12, so you know that one of his inner circle betrayed him, and then you have the 11 Right when they see the resurrected Christ, it's not like being at a big religious pageant. Everybody gets down on their knees. Oh, Jesus, 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 we all trust you. We're going to give and dedicate our whole life to you. They're up there, and they're kind of looking up and go, man, what in the world's going on here? This is confusing. That's honest, isn't it? 
If you saw somebody resurrected that was hanging on a cross on Friday afternoon, wouldn't you wonder? That's what the Greek word means. It means that you wonder, that you've got mental dissonance going on inside of you. It's honest. But then Jesus says this, and this is our call today on Easter. If you know Jesus as your Savior, Jesus says, all authority has been given to me. Young people, you're part of a church family. For years I taught a man named Wynn Morris. All authority is given to Jesus in heaven and earth. Wynn is in a really dangerous place, and you need to pray for him. And there's several people that come to know Jesus is the crucified one that rose again from the dead. Muhammad didn't do that. Jesus did. And when one of your brothers is telling people, because all authority is given to you, what I want you parents to know, that you need to be ready to have your kids, and as you grow older, you need to be willing to do it yourself. It's all authority. We're under commitment. Our Savior is the authority throughout all the world, but he doesn't use guns. He doesn't use a nuclear bomb. He uses the powerful thing that I've been trying to do with you today. His spirit through his word just touches your heart and you can freely decide. He says, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. I want you to go. That's why all of you need to have feet that are moving out. I want you to go into your job. I want you to go throughout Dallas. I want you to go throughout Fort Worth. If we really believe this Easter news, we've got to go everywhere. I want you to go. And as you go, I want you to make disciples. It's not just leading people to accept a message. It's inviting people to trust in a Savior and then let that Savior transform them. We want to be serious about implementing what Jesus teaches us in a book like Matthew. We're disciples, making disciples of every people group, Jews, Gentiles, everyone. We baptize them. That's evangelism. We win them to Jesus. And then we teach them to observe all things. We've got this incredible wonder. We can have them born into God's family through trusting the crucified one. We can baptize people in the name of the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And then we can have them grow. It's the greatest vision. It's worth giving your whole life for. That's why we're here today. And I want you to spread that out. And as you do, I want you to know Jesus isn't just in heaven somewhere. As we close today, Jesus says, hey, I'm at the right hand of God, but through my spirit, I'm right here. I'm going to walk out of this room, and I'm not going to ever leave you, and I'll never forsake you. Lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. America can come and go. If it's not the end of the world, who are you going to be with? Jesus. You might have to go and fight in Afghanistan. You might have to fight in Iraq. You might lose your job. You don't know. You might have your physical health taken away. Who's going to be with you? So as disciples of Jesus, most of you in this room believe he's the crucified one. He rose again from the dead. I want you to have a greater vision to let his authority move through you so that you touch more light for Jesus. I want to close is I'm a cynic. Like when I came to Midlothian, I came to Midlothian and said, well, man, they'll let me teach regularly. I've been raised with the scripture even though I was 23. I really knew the Bible well. I said, I'll just teach the Bible. And man, I'll do it for three more years. I'll graduate for two more years. I'll graduate from seminary. That'll be it. In the middle of the night, the Lord Jesus said, hey, Wurtson, this is my flock. I don't care there's eight couples there. There's just 16 people there. They're sheep. And this is serious business. So you need to really teach them the word of God. You need to really teach them the gospel. And more important, I want you and Mary to just 
and match yourself in Midlothian. Raise your kids in those schools. Take your kids to the doctors. Coach those little league sports. I don't care if you know anything about soccer or not. You need to learn to coach soccer. You live with those people, and I guarantee you that the gates of hell won't prevail against them. And people came and went. But here we are. On Tuesday morning, I was in Carolyn's Cafe, and there was a friend that I hadn't seen. He used to be in the Midlothian Police Force. He's retired. I went over and I said, hi, how you doing? Man, I haven't seen you in a long time. He looked at me and says, Dave, I am so glad to see you. Man, I just want you to know Ray wanted me to tell you something. Now, Ray, in 1980, when we closed on our house, the inspector came and said, you can't close because none of the dirt work was done. None of the yard was ready. We built our house with some of you that are right here in this room today. We did it ourselves. We didn't have the dirt work done. And Mir and I are going, oh, no, man, we got to close, man. The, we got it all figured out with the guys that are doing this with us. And, man, we got it down right to the penny. We got to get this done. Suddenly I hear a tractor coming down the street. And Ray takes his tractor. And Ray, in a few hours, had our whole yard totally ready. And the inspector came and we closed. Now, Ray's wife, Vicki, came not just on Easter, not just on Christmas, but every Sunday. And Mary and I did social things with them, but I could not get Ray to come to church, not even on Easter. And his brother said, Dave, Ray wanted me to tell you. He's retired. He moved down away, but he's going to church every Sunday. He's even used that tractor and stuff to help them lay the foundation to build buildings. But most importantly of all, he wanted me to tell you. He wanted me to tell you that he's connected with Jesus. If you haven't connected with Jesus, maybe you're a ray today. I want you to know, I'm, I know all the things you've been heard. I know that maybe somebody was a hypocrite. But today, I'm not talking to you about a hypocrite. Do you think that Jesus that I told you about today is a hypocrite? Deep in your soul, are you really ready to bank your eternity that life is cynical, that everything's a lie, that everything's just money? Are you really willing to wager that more than 2 billion people that believe in the crucified Savior and believe in this one powerful Savior that rose again from the dead, you think that all your grandmothers that believed in that, you think some of your moms and dads that built their life on it, in my own life, my mom and dad built their life on that. Mary's mom and dad did. It was worth it. And Ray's now building his life. Will you join us today? As we close in prayer, why don't you invite your heart and say, Dear Jesus, the crucified one, I need you. Humbly, I need you. Come into my life and save me now. And then will you join us and say, He's alive.